Okay, so we are continuing on in a series that we started last week called WDJD, What Did Jesus Do, as Mark pointed out. It's kind of a play on the, uh, the 90s craze, uh, those bracelets that, how many of you are wearing your bracelet? Anybody got a bracelet? Okay, so we handed these out, got some cool merch that we handed out last week, WWJD, What Would Jesus Do? But in this series, we're looking at what did Jesus do? And we learned last week that Jesus did a lot of things, the thing that he did better than any human being ever in all of history was that Jesus taught. And because he is the greatest teacher ever, all of us here, all of you watching online right now, all of us should want to sit as his apprentices. We should want to sit at the feet of our master, Jesus, and learn from his wisdom and insights. So today, uh, as you already know, we're going we're gonna to start looking at some of those different topics about which Jesus taught. And today we're going to look at, a, uh, at the topic about Satan, what Jesus taught about Satan. Jesus certainly taught that Satan is real, which might sound kind of like, well, no duh, but you'd be amazed at how many people think that, oh, he's just a fairy tale. He's very real. And Jesus also taught that we, we are in a battle, a spiritual battle between good and evil. And, and in Mark chapter 3, uh, what Jesus does is he talks about this battle. And, and I like to just read this passage of scripture with you. Just follow along on the screens. Jesus entered a house and again a crowd gathered so that he and his disciples were not even able to eat. When his family heard about this, they went to take charge of him for they said, he is out of his mind. And the teachers of the law who came down from Jerusalem said, He is possessed by Beelzebub, by the prince of demons. He is driving out demons. So Jesus called them and spoke to them in parables. <laughs> How can Satan drive out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. If a house is divided against itself, that house cannot stand. And if Satan opposes himself and is divided... He cannot stand. His end has come. In fact, no one can enter a strong man's house and carry off his possessions unless he first ties up the strong man. Then he can rob his house. Now, when it came to Jesus' teaching and his miracles, his healings, freeing people from demon possession, we need to understand that for the people back then in that day, this was very strange, very unusual. It was out of the ordinary, and it cried out for explanation. In Mark 3, we hear two potential explanations. The first from his family who basically say he is out of his mind. It is almost as if they were embarrassed by what Jesus was doing, uh, how he was being involved in ministry and not even taking a break for lunch. And so they're thinking, they're saying he, he's not thinking clearly. But there is a second explanation, which is a far more serious charge, and it's leveled by the religious leaders who are coming down from headquarters in Jerusalem to, for the distinct purpose of trying to, to discredit Jesus. And they say this, he is, in verse 22, he is possessed by Beelzebub. Now, Beelzebub is not a common term in the New Testament. It's only used seven times. It's also another name for Satan. But Jesus refutes their absurd argument by basically saying, guys, if I were working for Satan, why would I be casting out his demons? It just doesn't make sense. It's ridiculous. And then he goes into this final parable in verse 27. Let me read this again for you. 
No one can enter a strong man's house and carry off his possessions unless he first ties up the strong man. Then he can rob his house. Now, frankly, not many people understand that parable. And yet it has and carries some staggering implications for you, for me, for this world. So what I'd like to do is kind of work through this for a little bit, and I want to retell it to you, but I want to use it in modern terms, okay? So let's just say, let's just pretend that Tom Cruise, okay, the actor, Tom Cruise breaks into a house, okay? I looked it up. Tom Cruise weighs about 150 pounds. He's about five foot seven. I'm 6'1", so he'd be about high, this high on me. And let's just say that Tom Cruise breaks into this house, and he has no, he doesn't have a gun or a knife, no weapons. It's just his brute strength. Now, let's say that Tom Cruise breaks into the house of Dwayne the Rock Johnson. I looked him up. He's 260 pounds and six foot five. So he's a good 100 pounds heavier as well as almost a foot taller than Tom Cruise. Now, let's just say that as Tom Cruise is breaking into the Rock's home, the Rock comes home and walks in and sees Tom Cruise breaking into his house. And now it's just man against man. Tom Cruise against the Rock. So... Let me just ask you, how much stuff do you think Tom Cruise is going to be able to take out of The Rock's house? Not much. No, not much, right? And the reason why is because you can't just have anyone break into a strong man's home, right? That strong man needs to first be tied up and restrained. And the only way that's going to happen is if somebody stronger than the strong man does that. Right, so someone stronger than The Rock would have to tie him up and restrain him. And I like Tom Cruise and all, but I just don't know if he would be able to do that. I don't know if a lot of us would be able to do that. But here's where I'm going with this story. Okay, in this story, the strong man represents Satan. Okay? And the house represents the world. And the possessions that are at stake represent all human beings. Okay, all of us are under Satan's influence. All of us are held under his influence and the power. Uh, the, 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 we're, in this, we're imprisoned in our sin, in our sinfulness. And Satan wants to keep us there. He wants to keep us under his influence, imprisoned in our sin. Why? Because then we are not a threat, right? We are not going to be able to advance the kingdom of God the way God would want us to advance it. So Satan wants to do everything he can to keep us under his influence. To succeed in that, Satan uses two main strategies. Strategy number one is what Laura talked about just a moment ago, temptation. In fact, this is probably one of the most common strategies Satan uses. And, um, and it's also part of the reason why, in many cases, Satan is often referred to as the tempter. Now, a temptation, and Laura kind of alluded to this a moment ago, but temptation it really contains two ingredients, two aspects. The first is that it plays on your desires, right? I want that piece of gum. I wanted one of those gumballs. Okay, it plays on what you want or what you think you want. Second, temptation gets you to justify doing what you know is wrong. Now, Satan has been using temptation since the beginning of time. And again, Laura mentioned this in her object lesson. But when Satan came up, for example, to Eve in the Garden of Eden, he says this. And just listen for these two elements of temptation in this story. This is from Genesis 3. 
Satan says, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not surely die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So did you catch the two elements, those two ingredients? He plays on her desires. Who's she going to be like? Say it. Like God. Yeah, knowing good and evil. Whoa, I don't have that. And then he convinces her to justify doing what she knows is wrong. And he does it by, first of all, just flat out lying to her. You're not going to die. Yeah, she is. And then second, he, gets her, he convinces her to think that God would not want her to miss out on something as good as this. See how Satan is? He's so sneaky. And that's temptation. It plays on your desire, and it gets you to justify doing what you know you shouldn't do. It is a very lethal strategy. And maybe those of you sitting here right now, those of you watching online right now, maybe you're struggling with the temptation. Maybe it's a sinful habit. Maybe it's a temptation to um, be bitter and refuse forgiveness to somebody who's hurt you. Maybe it's a temptation to control and dominate another person. You know, completely the opposite of going down the, the path of love. Maybe you tend to gossip and say negative things about other people. You're tempted to do that. In fact, that temptation is such a grip on you, you do it without even thinking. Whatever the case, Satan is the master of temptation. And the reason why he's so good is because he is so good at this thing called deception. And deception is just another one of those traits that we commonly attribute to Satan to the point where he's also referred to as the deceiver. In Revelation 12, verse 9, uh, Satan is referred to as one who deceives the whole world. In John 8, 44, you read this just a moment ago. Jesus is referring to the devil. I know mean, he's addressing the Pharisees, but he's, he's identifying the devil as a deceiver, saying it this way. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth. For there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Woof. So Satan wants to destroy you. And to do that, he needs to make sin... Okay, it, which is always destructive to life. Look as if it is life-giving. How do you do that? Deceit. Deceit. And the deception is to get that, you know, that, that ugly pile, stinky, smelly pile of sin to look like it is somehow going to satisfy you. And he, and he will use that for any sin. Satan will use that with any sin. It could be the sin of greed or lust or hatred or lying or laziness or pride or whatever. He's going to try to deceive you to think that this sin is going to somehow make you happy. It's going to fulfill you. It will satisfy you. That's temptation. And every one of us experience it. All of us. It is just a part of life. But here's the thing, and I want you to just keep this in mind. You are not a helpless victim. Yes, there are times when you will fall prey to a temptation and will sin. But that doesn't mean that every single time you are tempted, you have to cave into it every single time. Does that make sense? You have the power and the work of the Holy Spirit to beat that temptation before it takes you down the road into sin. 
And to help you with that, what I'd like to do when it comes to this strategy of temptation is share with you a couple of suggestions that I think will help you to overcome those temptations. The first suggestion is this, identify it. This is absolutely critical. Identify where it is that you struggle. That's the first part, that's the first step of the battle. Identify it. Um, you you, you want to be able to acknowledge it. You want to be candid and, and admit it to yourself and to God and say, yep, this is an area where I'm weak. This is an area where I'm vulnerable. Number one, identify it. Two, don't even think about doing this on your own. Ask God to help you say no. This is a spiritual battle. Okay, even if you're the size of the rock, you're not gonna, you, this is a battle that you cannot win on your own. These are forces and powerfuls bigger than you. So you ask God, the God of the universe, to help you say no. To say, God, I want to close the door in this temptation. Third, share it with another person. This is huge too. If to beat a temptation, one that you wrestle with a lot, it really helps if you can find a trusted Christian friend and share it with them. Right? Uh, just in confidence, go and say, you know what? I'm, I really wrestle with this area of my life. And, and I, I need you to pray for me. And then just kind of check in on me and see how I'm doing every now and then. Now, I understand. I understand. This is hard. This is going to be very hard. It's hard for you to share your deepest, darkest struggles with another person like that. But the, it is so worth it. Because then, not only do you have somebody who's going to hold you accountable, but when you do stumble into sin, this is a person who can help remind you of God's love and grace. And how through the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross for your sin, that sin in particular, any sin, that y- your sin will be erased and forgiven. Okay, so, so that is a... Um, when it comes to overcoming this first, uh, this first strategy of the devil called temptation, find somebody to help hold you accountable. So that's the first strategy. The second strategy that Satan uses, which is also very effective, is this thing called accusation. Actually, the word Satan in the Hebrew can also mean accuser. There's another word in the Greek in the New Testament to refer to Satan, and it's diabolos. That's where we get the word devil, and of course, diabolical. And the word devil means to slander or attack. So Satan, the accuser, guess what he's doing? He's looking for every way that he can to attack you and defeat you. Remember, he wants to keep you under his influence. And to do that, he will use shame and guilt as a weapon. When I was in high school and even in college, it was the time when uh, if we were at a basketball game, this is really just for basketball, uh, but if one of the players on the opposing team committed a foul, all of us would stand up, point at the person, and we would chant the same word over and over again. We would say, you, 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 yeah, you. Hundreds of us standing up, trying to get into this guy's, this player's head and, and trying to take him out of the game through, I don't know, making him feel defeated or isolated or whatever. That's what Satan wants to do. He's looking to take you out of the game. He's looking to get into your head and say, shame on you after you've sinned. Shame on you. What were you thinking? Oh, that's right. You weren't thinking. How could you do that? That'll be held against you forever. You, 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 yeah, you. Oh, he loves to take you out of the game. He loves to mess with your mind. Get you to think that you, that sin that you just committed was so terrible, so horrible. That there's no way on earth that God could ever forget that, forgive that. Of course, that's not true. 
But before I go there and explain why, and even how you can overcome Satan's accusations, let me just clear the air on one, one thing in particular. Because people get confused here. I need to clear the air on the difference between accusation and conviction. Now, conviction is something the Holy Spirit will do. He will convict you in your heart, in your mind, to try to get you to recognize your sin and repent of it and turn away from it, confess it to God, so that then God can wash you clean with his forgiving grace and love. Right? Because of Jesus' sacrifice on the cross, you can be restored and you can enjoy a life, uh, you, you can enjoy the, the power of a transformed life. That's conviction. Accusation is just the opposite. Conviction draws you toward God. Accusation pulls you away from God. Accusation is designed to make you feel despair, to make you feel miserable, like God could never love you. God could never use you, not, a, not after what you've done. See, there, there's the difference. So if you are, and please listen to me on this. If you ever have done something wrong and you're like, oh, God could never forgive me. That's an accusation. You must reject those thoughts because they are not of God. Okay? They are of the evil one, Satan, who's trying to keep you under his influence. Now, to help you with these accusations that come your way, let me offer two practical tips, two practical suggestions. The first one is going to be very similar to when you're trying to overcome temptation, and it's to find a trusted Christian friend, but in this case, someone who will remind you of God's grace and love, okay? Somebody who will not just hold you accountable, but remind you of the difference between accusation and conviction. Someone who will remind you of God's grace and love in passages from God's word like 1 John 1 verse 9 where it says, if we confess our sins, God will be faithful and just and will forgive us our sins. Or Psalm 103 verse 12, I love this. As far as the east is from the west, so far has God removed our transgressions from us. So find someone like that. Someone who will remind you of God's grace and love. Second though, remember Jesus is stronger. Remember the story I told you earlier about the strong man whose house was being broken into and that the strong man represents Satan and the house represents the world and that the possessions that are at stake are you, me, and everybody on planet Earth? Okay, the only way, listen to this, the only way, the only way for the strong man, Satan, to be bound and restrained is if someone stronger enters in and does it. Well, guess what? Who's stronger, do you think? Tell me. Jesus. Yes. And this is, I, I know this is like, well, you know, duh, but we don't always remember that. In fact, there are a lot of people who foolishly, mistakenly think that God and Satan are equal in power. That's nuts. That's ludicrous. Not even close. God is the creator. Satan is just a creature. Satan is not all-powerful. Satan is not all-knowing. Satan is not everywhere. Come on. He is nothing compared to God. And so the good news is that because God came to this fallen planet in the person of Jesus Christ, and because Jesus suffered and died on the cross to pay the punishment for our sin, and then rose three days later, proclaiming victory over sin, death, and the devil, he rescues everyone from under the curse of sin, death, and the devil's accusations. And as a result, he now declares to you, to all of you watching online, to all of you here, he declares to us, Satan is bound. 
He has been defeated. Come with me and I will give you abundant life. Wow. Now, to be sure, the devil is still at work in this world. But don't miss this. It's not his house anymore. Can I have an amen to that, please? Amen. It's not his house anymore. All right? Jesus has won. The victory is ours. We can enjoy a relationship with God that is filled with power. Why? Because Jesus' forgiveness is greater than Satan's condemnation. Look at this from Romans 8. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It doesn't say there's a little condemnation or weak condemnation. It says what? No condemnation. None. So the good news is that because of God's love in Jesus, we, in this spiritual battle, do not have to live in defeat. Every time you wrestle with a temptation and pray over that temptation and say no to that temptation, Satan loses. Every time you stumble into sin, but then you, by the Spirit's power, embrace God's grace and love and forgiveness earned for you through the bloodstained cross of Jesus Christ, Satan loses. Every time you get back into the game and continue the work of God's kingdom here on this earth, Satan loses. He loses. He's powerful, but he's not that powerful. He's been bound so let me, let me just close with a couple of action steps for you this week. First, I really want to challenge you to connect with God and ask him for the power to say no. Remember, this is a spiritual battle. Don't try to do it on your own. Ask the all-powerful God of the universe to give you the strength to say no. And he will. It's his will for your life. Second, identify a trusted Christian friend who will hold you accountable. It is between now and next Sunday, find somebody. It is a true blessing to have somebody who will not only just be checking in on you regularly, but also somebody who, when you get off track, will remind you of God's grace and love that will help bring you back on track and restore you. Third, celebrate that because of Jesus, you no longer have to live in defeat. No, it's over. Battle is won, all right? Celebrate the fact that, that in Jesus you have power. Power to defeat, to overcome, to keep Satan's accusations and temptations at bay. Celebrate that. Celebrate the freedom that is yours in Jesus, your Savior. Let's pray. Father, we are so weak, but you are so strong, infinitely stronger than the so-called strong man, Satan, and by the death of your son, Jesus Christ, you have released us from his grip in our lives. Thank you. Help us to see the temptations and accusations of the evil one for what they really are. Attempts by him to destroy us and our relationship with you. And Father, move us to turn towards you in faith for the power that is available. The power that we need, but it's available to overcome those temptations as well as be set free from the shame and guilt of our past. Lord God, Continue to bless this series and bless us through it. We love you. We pray all this in Jesus' great and powerful name. And all God's people said, amen. amen.